<laughs> there you go. It's just math, baby. Dennis, how are you doing on this yes, evening? Well, well, I'm, uh, shall we say, happy. Happy to be here. The well, sun is streaking through my office window. The, the rain that happened uh, uh, all day is dissipated, and it's glorious. Nice. Out. My shed is now uh, finished. Wet. I did 14 hours yesterday. Not finished, but finished for the rain. Put on the tin roof, put on one full wall, cover the wall in tar paper, and then wrap the other two walls with tarp mm-hmm. and made them, in fact, a waterproof haven. Nice. And it was nip and tuck. Nip and tuck. I thought the roof was going to be a half inch longer, wider than I could afford after I recalculated. And as a result, I didn't put up the sheet, the, the siding, before I put up this header board. Anyway, it was a difference of you know, what happens. a half an inch. And you don't know because you're trying to put together ridged aluminum sheeting, like tin sheeting for a roof. Tell me about it. And it's got to line up a certain way. And, I, I, and so I measured two of them, which were overlapped, and said, well, if two of them is this long, then six of them is three times that. And then I went to that. Think? Yeah. But then I grew distrustful of that, so I literally laid the sheets out on my pavement and measured them in in utero. So you don't speak. trust math? And what are you putting sheets of the stuff in a uterus? The was a half inch. The difference was a half inch. Okay. Okay. And when you're doing a building, if your support structure for your roof is a half inch bigger than your roof, mm-hmm. you can't possibly shrink the roof. Yeah, trick the so roof. You got to buy it. You got you to buy a another tin panel and which is metal and cut it uh. with a metal saw, strip of it, and it's hard to get it straight. And so you want to make sure it's right. So I I recalculated and I didn't put the siding up before the header, which saved me exactly the amount I needed. Nice. I got done with the roof after four hours, on my hands and knees, one story up, eight feet off the ground, with knee pads on and board across the rafters, moving backward, putting the tin on. Sheet by sheet, thank God it wasn't windy, putting down a bead of caulk to make sure they stuck. Mm -hmm. And then with one drill, a hole in the tin with another drill, I have an automatic wrench to drive in the screw that holds it into place, moving backward, moving backward, moving backward. And I got to the point when, because I was on my knees, I really didn't need much support at my feet because I was on my knees and leaning forward with using my hands. Mm -hmm. And I got to the end of the house, the shed, and didn't really know it. So... Uh Not only were my knees near the edge of the shed, which was really a problem, but when I rested my leg a little bit to see if I was going to hit a rafter or something, it was nothing. And I looked behind me, and there I was eight foot of space, which made me chuckle out loud <laughs> and think think a little bit safer. But I got it all up, put up the final bit of the wall, which was uh, imagine trying to cut a board 16 inches in the bottom, 15 and three quarters at the top, and one side 77 inches, the other side 77 and a half. You've got to cut a board that looks like that, and you can't trace it. So you measure once, measure twice. I cut it. It, it was off an eighth of an inch. That's tough. It's a parallelogram of wood. It's, yes. I'm I glad that a, you didn't uh, tumble off your roof while you were crawling around there was like no a toddler. Tumbling. I no mean, tumbling. like a pre-toddler. I was a roof toddler. And the inspector came this morning instead of this afternoon. Oh, no. And said, good job. Gave me my ticket, my little pass that said I could finish it. And uh, you got a there. you got a little star sticker for your work, like in yeah, kindergarten, well, like in shape it like a star. It's a plan. Every toddlers get when they behave. You got yeah. a little sticker on your hand. Yeah. Good job, Dennis. Yeah. Denny boy. Yeah. So yeah. next now, so today I took a day off. Fourteen Lazy hours fuck. on Sunday, twelve hours on Saturday. God didn't take a day off. Hours on, oh wait. Ten hours a day. Monday I put in. Let's see. 
uh, 10 is a 50 plus 62 plus 66, 76 hours this week. Uh-huh. That I got it done. And you think you're done? Okay. Plus last week, 76, 100 hours. And then I'm, I've got another 20, 30 to go, three days, three full days. So it's got to put a door on. It's basically comparable to me editing this podcast every week. You know, 100, 120 hours. <laughs> it's, it's slow so, going because so many things are said and need to be unsaid. So, it's so little or meaningful. So two of our shows had stories that have been picked up by the general media. And the one, when they talked about it today, began to reference the podcast where they heard it. And for a brief moment, I thought maybe it was us, but alas, it wasn't. Uh, It was a podcast about how alteration of faces is one thing, Mm -hmm. but the alteration of voices now by computers is something else again. Indeed. And a fellow who is an IT journalist, a programmer, Mm-hmm. created a version of himself so he interviewed himself and you heard that audio and of course you could detect a little bit of mechanical yep uh, a little hardness at the end of a word yes al i'll get it for you in a moment can i ask you why you want it that is very interesting it's it's that's pretty similar to what i discussed last time where i've got this software that can make me say things Luckily, I'm, I have the assumption that I'm still in control of what it's making me say, but that could be an illusion because whatever. But I haven't, for all I know, some story could come out where I'm interviewed on NPR talking about how great the Nazis were, and uh, it could just all be generated from this thing that I trained a computer to do. But in theory, uh, the document that I signed said that I and only I can use that voice and anyone that I choose to give permission to, which is no one. Except for me. I would which give is, you permission. Which, which is how this podcast was created. Right. It turns out I died many years ago, and this is just <laughs> Dennis's fantasy of that's recreating. That's not a good storyline. That's not a happy hour. That's a, okay. That's a, that's that's a tragedy that's hour. Tra- that's a... Okay. Let's pull, <laughs> that's pull out of that tailspin. The second story that broke that we was from the episode we did mm-hmm. was an article I sent you, a political article, where the author uh, was talking about bottles of Democrat liberals' tears and being able to sell them. Like selling children's tears. This was like yeah. episode four. Yes. We were all about we we're all about bottling children's tears and s- selling adult tears is one thing, whatever. But children's tears. That's, that still has the, the vitality of the young spirit of life in them. And you drink those or season your, boil your pasta in right. that. It's, uh, right. it's just pure energy, pure emotional, right. spiritual right. energy coursing right. through your spaghetti. It's just, whoa. <laughs> spaghetti of your brain, the spaghetti of your heart and arteries, the spaghetti, which is you are the spaghetti. Soul pasta, brother. We're slurping soul pasta. <laughs> Eat your pasta faster. Eat your pasta faster. Whip that skitty on your forehead. What? What? Where, where did you just go right now? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, good thing is nothing has happened in the news this week. Nothing really to talk about. 
Oh, yes, our favorite idiot, President Fallon, that the New York Times came out today, as I'm sure you've seen, with 15 years of Trump's taxes and come to find out that for 10 years, he didn't pay any taxes whatsoever, even though he's making $100 million a year in the movie studio. And two years, most recently, he paid 750 a year. And here's the kicker, $421 million in debt are coming due to Donald Trump in, in within a couple of years. I give you the theory that it's the Trump party and it's the Trump station replacing Fox. Okay. It's, it, and it's $6.99 per month subscription. $600 million a year. In the first year alone, Trump could pay off all his loans. His goal is simply to be the most famous or infamous person. He wants to be on par with fucking Hitler. Okay. But in a good way. In a good in a better way. In some ways maybe the same, but in a better way. So I I'm not good at math or accounting, but I don't understand how you can make money and then report that you lost money such that you don't have to pay taxes on the money that you made. What you say is that you ran businesses into the ground and it cost you $300 million in losses. What you have in equity and cash on hand is $100 million that you made, but because of your losses, you, are, you don't have to pay that because you have essentially a tax credit. And him paying an unnamed consultant who we think is his daughter— who he wanted to be the vice presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. This is a, a serious thing. He brought it up twice. Why can't it be her? And uh, there you have it. Just but so whatever money he went to Ivanka. So Double she deal. would have to pay income Pickbacks. tax on that, right? It depends on what it said. So what if the money was for a banquet and the rental of a hall and this, that, and the other, the food and whatever, and it was a million dollars tag. And which you go, you go to the hotel and you say, look, this million dollars, this, uh, I'm sorry, this this $750,000 that you want to run this event is good. I'm not going to argue at all. I'm going to invoice, though, right. a full 100000 or $100 million, whatever the fuck right. you want to do, right. because that's how I recoup my costs. Right. So it's called administrative fee or whatever. And, and so she's got a receipt for the hotel and all and whatnot, and it matches what was paid. It doesn't have a line item budget that breaks it down. If and if wanted someone wanted to, to go and investigate the actual income on the books of the hotel, you, can go deeper, you could, deeper, and you would discover that. But this is why I claim that I pay you ten grand for each episode of this podcast, but it's just so that I can write off the, the $4 that we get for every episode. I take my cut. <laughs> Oh, oh, I did nothing. Well, did but nothing. on the books, it looks like you're just, you're doing really well. Uh, yeah, I bet you. So, I bet you. Whoa. Whoa. Did you just, you got a little Midwestern there. No, I was, uh, I was looking at something over in my office. I don't know what it is. It's a scarf of some kind. Anyway, it doesn't, it's a pair of, it's a pair scarf. of stockings. Mm -hmm. Is it stocking you? Oh, now that's a story. The stocking, stocking. Yes. Do, 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 do. My kids, show, my kids know, they know the music to Jaws, but for the love of God, I'm not going to actually show them Jaws until they're 
25 or something because <laughs> Jesus. I don't, I, the I don't remember scene, what age. The best scene in Jaws, the most, one of the most memorable, is when the captain of the ship, give me a name. Captain Jaws, yeah. Oh, Robert Shaw was the actor, Quint. Anyway, there's Quint. I, I heard he's on the deck quintessential. Of, <laughs> he was, it's a scene I described as enduring and enduring. And he is preparing for the big fish. And he's on the back of the deck of his boat. And he looks up to the sky and he sings a little tune. You have to find that. And, uh, throw it up on the show notes. I wouldn't mind looking at it right now. It's quite, it's wonderful. Oh man, he came to a sad end. In what way? Shaw died in Ireland at the age of 51 from a heart attack in August of 1978 while driving mm, to his home in Tormakitty. He suddenly became ill, stopped the car, stepped out, and then collapsed and died on the roadside. He was accompanied by his wife, Virginia, and his son, Thomas, at the time. That's fucking dark. That is, that's bad. So, yeah. That so was... he was, he was the mark in the Paul Newman, Robert Redford flick, the, what's it called, the switch, or it's not the switch, but uh, he was a card player and got swindled in a card game. Diamonds? For millions. Swashbuckler, Black Sunday, The Sting. The stink. That's it. The stink. Da 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 You know the words to that? I think nobody it's, does. It's just a musical. It's a uh, instrumental. I know the title. Do you? Oh, you're gonna get caught by the sting. It's gonna bite you in the ass. You'll see. Anyway, Robert Shaw was he it was fabulous. He was so frightening as a guy who be so hard to beat in this scam and you damn well better do it and get away with it because he will take your fingernails off one at a time, feed them to your cat in front of you, then kill the cat and make you eat its bowels. Wow. Nothing like a cat's bowels. As we say. That song is called The Entertainer, and it was written by Scott Joplin. And, wow, Scott Joplin was an African-American born in 1868 in Arkansas. He lived his, his job as a railroad laborer and traveled the American South as an itinerant musician. So not unlike Robert Johnson, our yes. our hero. But anyway, this so the the Wikipedia page for the Entertainer says that it was used as the theme music for the 1973 Oscar-winning film The Sting, as as well was it as the best it was. Picture? What? I don't was know. I don't know what it won. I'll look that up in, in a second. But it was it, the Entertainer was made famous by being one of these songs that was reproduced on player pianos. Those pianos right. with the thing that rolls by. Let's see. Awards, wins, Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Music, Original Scoring, and, and or adapt, Adaptation. Yeah. The Sting All pretty those much took won? The, Yes. Those are wins. And what about acting? It was nominated. Robert Redford for Best Actor. Did not win. But it was nominated for Best Cinematography, nominated for Best Sound. And but nothing for Paul Newman. 
Not in the awards. Nope. Huh. Or Robert Shaw. But well, to, know, to, be in, to be a principal a character actor. in the best picture for the year has to help your career. Oh, yeah. Hold on. He imagine. was nominated for the AFI's 100 Years and 100 Villains. AFI, because Robert Shaw was a villain in this. Yes. Apparently. Doyle well, Lonigan, villain. Doyle Lonigan. Yeah, he spoke crypt accent with his deep voice. The American Film Institute's 100 Heroes and Villains uh, that was listed in 2003. He made that list. All right, here we go. Let's have you guess the top three heroes that the American Film Institute chose in 2003. The list heroes was first presented film? in a CBS special hosted by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Heroes. Yeah. Heroes. He- let's first do the heroes. Top three heroes of film. James Bond. Okay, that's number three. Very good. Um, 2002. Um, Sigourney Weaver. Aliens. That's number eight. Uh, heroes. Hmm. We have... Uh, Martin Sheen in... Okay, nope, nope, nope. So, uh, number three, James Bond. In Apocalypse Now. Yes. That's right. Number two was also in Apocalypse Now. A young well, actor. Well, that's Martin Sheen. No. Number The number two hero is Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Oh, of course. He was in Apocalypse Now. And number one... Who was in Apocalypse Now? Harrison Ford. No, he was. Yes, he was. I swear to God, he was, he was just this doofy little private that was reporting for duty, and had one scene where he said four words. I, I swear to you, it's true. Uh, Number one is Atticus Finch, played by Gregory Peck. Oh my God, that was then. That was we then. Dated that. I that was nineteen. Dated. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying this. This was in 2003. This was in 2003. They looked back oh, at all of cinema. Oh. Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling was number five. That's pretty wild. Oh, I would imagine. Uh, Stallone is Rocky, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Scroll down to the villains. So again, we're looking back from 2003 backwards. Best villains. Uh, Robert De Niro, Cape Fear. No, Robert De Niro made it for Taxi Driver, number 30. But no. I And I gave you a clue just now by accident. With uh, Jody. Oh, yeah, certainly. Anthony Hopkins in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Number one, Anthony Hopkins. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. And the scene in the latter movie when uh, Jody Foster had been replaced by Julianne Moore, who yeah. did a pretty remarkable job, but it wasn't seamless when they were having dinner. And the, the Ray Loyotis character was at the dinner table, and there was a hot a tray, a sizzling pan, yes. a little chef's dish next to it, and Hannibal Lecter and had taken the skull and cut it earlier out of out of camera, and uh, he simply lifted off the top of his head. There was a little trickle of, of blood that went down his forehead, and he cut a section of his brain out and fried it uh, to have some uh, sweetbreads to feed to him. He ate his own brain. It was the re- most remarkably cold scene in the history of television. Julianne Moore, you recall, was terribly drugged 
she was drugged, so she was at the table. I, and she I was... only have vague memories of that particular scene. Number two, villains, Norman Bates. Uh, of you. all time. I'm telling you. The Joker. Number two is Norman Bates and Psycho. Uh, Anthony Perkins. Number three is Darth Vader. Go figure. Yeah. And then you go like to the Wicked Witch of the West, and then further you get down to... Uh, number 11 is Michael Corleone in The Godfather Part Two by Al Pacino. Yeah. And anyway, interesting list. It's, you know, play, it's biased as all lists are, but get down to Freddy Krueger. That's Kruger. why they're lists. That's why they write them down. Because Ooh. nobody would have thought of it otherwise. Number 50 is Denzel Washington in Training Day. That was a, a As a villain? Yes. Yeah. De- Detective Alonzo Harris. That was, was such a scary performance. And that was, yeah. that, that's probably the latest one here. That was in 2001 where he was just like, Ethan Hawke was there in his car and he was just like, all right, motherfucker, I'm going to show you what life is like out here. And, and yeah. Oh my God. That was, I'm glad you raised that. It was one of the more remarkable films. So I saw the premiere last night of the Comey rule with Damien Gleason is uh, not Damien shit. Brendan Gleason. Brendan Gleason. He's not in the he was not in the first episode except uh, at the very at one part during it they show the back of Trump Gleason walking into a beauty pageant in Russia uh. as the FBI is telling the story to the staff during the election of all the ties that the dossier indicated Trump had and why this the, the deep the deep state was convinced that he was a Russian asset, and the fact that Comey knew that and wouldn't release it to the public, which makes sense because he was only under review, and right. the FBI doesn't release investigations only if they find criminal finding, and yet he did it with 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 Clinton in the emails, and how what I did not know, which I was very thankful to see, was the degree to which. All of his staff, 100% of his staff, and particularly his wife, begged him not to do it because they said it could turn the election to Trump. Not his staff saying that, but what some of them saying that, and how he rejected the advice because he thought that he was just so righteous. And Jeff Daniels plays him. I didn't. We'll see what happens in the Wait, next Jeff episode. Daniels plays, right now, Jeff Daniels plays Comey. Comey. Yeah. Okay. Wow. He's got. Huh? No, I mean, that's. Okay, I'm seeing an image now of him as Comey, and I don't know, you got your, with his Comey over, it. he looks kind of like. Well, the, here's the thing about Comey that they don't capture, and, and it makes, frankly, it almost makes Jeff Daniels so far perhaps not the right choice for Comey. And since I pretty much love Jeff Daniels and everything he's been in, although I didn't like Dumb and Dumber, I didn't, I don't like people making fun of dumb people to start with. It's a bad premise. Right. But anything else, I've always loved him in. But he, in speaking of Dumb and Dumber, he has this look throughout the first episode of a Comey, which is a self-possessed, self-pleased, smug look. And he plays him, leave it to Beaver's father, Boy Scout. And while they make, while they make um, Jeff Daniels three inches taller right. by putting lifts, incredible lifts on his high, on these, high shoes and shooting body stunts for full close-ups. They didn't go any further to make Comey, to make Daniels, Comey's six foot eight. Wow. Okay? He's a big dude. And bigger than what you normally see running around Washington in a suit. 
Right. And the that imposing fact makes what happened very different. And when they only portray Jeff Daniels as maybe 6'3 or 6'4, they also didn't go to the great trouble of making all the other actors appear from the shots and from stunt doubles and whatnot to be, in Small. fact, five inches shorter than what they were in the movie. Right, right, right. And to understand Comey, like understanding anybody who's six foot eight, you've got to understand. And so it's not a credible physical performance. You almost would recruit, as they did with the actor who you can show who played him, did a, a pretty good job of looking somewhat like Clinton and sounding well like Clinton in a dialogue that was definitely Clinton's. And I'm sure that Brendan Gleeson is going to do the same thing. But they both have the physical characteristics, either to begin with or put upon them. Right. Of you know, the or, right. Or makeup, whatever, to make it more plausible since you're playing a real-life character. And so far, Jeff Daniels hasn't done that for me. I'll withhold judgment for this second episode, final episode, which is tonight, where now that fuckwad, Comey, spelled C-U-M-M-Y, ends up fucking costing Clinton the election. And now he's caught in fucking Trump land, and it doesn't go well for him. No, imagine that. And we'll see how it portrays him. Stupid fuck. Yeah, so, as I mentioned last time, I started watching the circus thing that you recommended to me. And, man, Showtime is going just hard out against Trump, it seems. like I'm not, I, I think that the people spending money to create these shows are doing that. And if it's Showtime that is paying for those, then yes, I, I suppose that Showtime is the is the. I mean, that's uh, they, where you're watching it. It turns out it looks like all of this stuff is funded by CBS Television Studios as well as Showtime, according to the credits for the images that I'm seeing. Anyway, so I mentioned to you since we last spoke that I watched this documentary on Netflix about. Like I, I had heard about it, and then when I went to Netflix to research mm, a movie that I could watch with my kids, I fell into this this rabbit hole of watching this documentary about the space shuttle Challenger. And wow, it like a lot of it I knew, and but and a lot of it had some hindsight bias stuff where they were they did a lot of interviewing of the people and the and the offspring of the people that had been like, no, you're going to have a failure with the O-rings. Stop. Don't launch. So there was a, it's easy to go back and look at what was unknown at the time as if now that we have hindsight, we can see that who was right and who uh -huh. was wrong. And in not, a documentary rather than and, uh, and a movie. Like I had just, I had just listened to this interesting podcast about how it's, how we have just innately, we have this bias of, looking back at people that made bad mistakes, like a drunk driver that decided to get in, into his car and uh, drive and accidentally is the key word, killed a family or something. And we look back at that and say they get a sentence of 15 years or something. And you think 15 years for killing a whole family, that seems like not much, but like at the time, like you can't look back at each of those decisions that were made as if, that person knew what was going to happen. Oh, so foreknowledge. Because so many people drive drunk and nothing happens. And if we sentence all of them to 15 years, then we would have trouble. So at some point you have to have this 
it, it's hard for us to look back and say, oh, if I had decided not to go into work on 9-11, things would have been different. Uh-huh. Or, so that sort of thing. I would, My wife was had a bit of a fever, but she decided to go into work on 9-11, and now she's gone. And to look back at that and to over-rationalize, like, you don't know the future when it happens. Anyway, so a lot of, there, was a, there was a little bit of that with the Challenger thing. But, man, never has there been a national tragedy for which there was so much footage recorded before it happened. Yeah. Because, yeah. and they talked about how NASA was doing a great job of making, of selling to the American people, the space shuttle yeah. is just the most amazing thing, the space shuttle is the most amazing thing, look at the space shuttle, blah, blah, blah. But then, after 12 successful missions, later the space shuttle launch is on page four of the newspaper. Oh yeah, yeah. space shuttle launched again. Yeah, whatever. And so that's why they had come up with this idea of including a school teacher. And that really hyped up everything again and got everyone caring about it. And Krista McCullough was so human and so uh, charismatic. And this its a this is a four-part mini-series documentary, so it's three hours in total. But man, it's a really... with actors or it's a doc or a pure... No, it's a total documentary. There's no recreation. It's all ah. because they have footage of everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they... So did you see the movie? What movie? Was there a movie that Tom Hanks was involved in, or was that Apollo? That's Apollo 13, which is also amazing. But yeah. but this was, and so by they, like they really make you love several of the astronauts, but especially Krista McCullough when things when things happen, and they interview all of the, of course all of the family members, but all of the people that made those decisions, like they made it just barely when they're all still alive. Some of them are like 85 or whatever, and they're all like, hey. At the time, I, it was, I, it was, I, nobody said, I regret what happened. Everyone was like, yeah, I've dealt with this for 30 years and I, and I accept what I did, but it was just an interesting moral conundrum to look. So at. tell the story in brief, tell the challenger story in brief. Okay. They were doing all of these space shuttle missions and the space shuttle was super important. And this idea that we could send up a a spacecraft and then recover it and as well as all of the all of the boosters and rockets and stuff that set it up was just the coolest thing but it was way over budget because it turns out to do that semi-safely you have to have so much engineering going into it and still i think the space shuttle is considered the one of the most complicated things that humans have ever created because for every system there's a backup system and it's just really it's so much more impressive than like a 747, for example, which also has backup systems for other systems, but this was even more so. Uh, and it was, so the problem was that they had seen on previous missions that some of these O-rings, which are these right, rubber right. seals between parts of the solid rocket boosters. And apparently this was the first, the space shuttle was the first and maybe only time when we used solid rocket fuel like previously everything had always been liquid but they had found a way to freeze this stuff down to uh, whatever they were burning to be solid and these solid rocket boosters were they were full of a really cold solid rocket fuel and so anyway they did this there all the experts had been looking into this and they said look we've seen these problems with these o-rings and especially if it's cold they fail and like there were two O-rings between each section of these solid rocket boosters, and so it was double. They had some redundancy there. So if one of them failed, in theory, the other one could still keep the seal. And 
they this company that I am not remembering the name of uh, had there were people in the company that said look these things aren't going to perform well if it's anywhere near freezing cold and the challenger launched on a night uh, on a day after it had been below freezing in florida and anyway people had sounded the alarm this is outer space cold yeah, but these are the boosters. These are the rockets that are. These are the the white thing oh, on the side. Oh, before you get there. Yeah, before you get before there. You, yeah. Well, yes. I'll gotcha. Right. Yeah, the space shuttle is cool with cold, so to speak. Cool with cold, and so these these rubber things, these rubber O-rings on the that were holding the pieces of this thing together were potentially a problem. And anyway, they held this. The like the launch was delayed one day because there was bad weather, but it turned out that the weather really wasn't that bad. And they could have launched, but they they didn't because the the meteorologist said that there was going to be bad weather. And then another time it, they were going to launch, but then they couldn't for some other reason. And then on the third time they it's super cold today, but you know, like apparently they had this tight schedule of NASA promised Congress that they were going to launch uh, 15 missions every year or something like that. So it was a quick turnaround, and we right. need to be launching these things. And so if you say let's wait a week until maybe it's warmer is not a thing that's accepted. So it was just like, no, we got, we have to go. And they had these, these meetings at the last minute where they were like, should we go or not? And everyone, and many of the people said, I don't think it's safe. And, of the rings. and at some level, someone overruled them and said, look, it, be, it rather than a scientific safety decision, it became a political one. And it, and they decided, yes, let's do it. And it turned out poorly. But this wasn't in the documentary, but I've read that... Uh, Turned around probably in, 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 more precisely. Huh? More precisely. Say more. More precisely what? That it turned out poorly. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it, when it launched at about a minute and 40 seconds in, it one of the O-rings broke, and the whole thing basically exploded. It did not explode into a fireball, which many people thought at the time, but it's exploded in a way that all the rocket fuel started burning in different directions and it's broke up the shuttle however from what i've read that this was not in the documentary but from what i've read the crew compartment was still totally intact and totally possible that they were all conscious when they hit the water which killed them and then drowned no the impact would have killed them killed them. yeah so they were catapulting through space alive well, through high. the air, yeah. Through the atmosphere. Yeah. Right. So that sort of sucks. And they talked with all the all the family all the family members talked about how their loved ones had been really gung ho about going to space and they understood all of the risks and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it just sucks. But did, so did one they of my interview the people who said about the O rings? Oh, of course. That was one of the main what did they say? Did they, they said, say I told you so? There was they a lot should of, have listened to me? There was a lot of that. The one woman that I, that I liked the least was the daughter of one of the people that said, this is going to be a disaster. And she was really, mm, like, again, looking back with 2020 vision, so to speak, no pun intended, you get, you can feel really righteous about anyone, any sort of naysayer that, that whoever was the person that put the report into the FBI's hand is about Osama bin Laden planning 9-11 uh, can feel super smug. But for every one of those people, there's a thousand people that reported other potential things that never happened. But so anyway, but one of my main 
takeaways from this documentary was watching Reagan, how he handled it, and seeing, and Reagan, by all accounts, was a pretty shitty president and person in general, policy-wise, but he he expressed true empathy. Like, he was really sad when he was reporting about this, and he said, we lost some great Americans today, and and we vow to investigate this and make sure it never happens again, et cetera, et cetera. And it, seeing it in 2020 was yeah. so painful to to see what even one of the worst presidents in my lifetime, how human he was and how he could feel for the families that were lost, that had their family members lost and feel sad in the same way that W after 9-11 he was really devastated. Like he, he was able to, or at least he, he was able to show a sense that there was a true loss and he felt it. And that made me long mm-hmm. for having a fucking yeah. human in the fucking white well, house. He, he... <laughs> right. Back to that again. No, but well, like that, but so, seeing it from this perspective, right. It was like, right. right. What, how nice would it be to have a human that has emotions in charge? Yeah. Even one that has totally wrong political views, but just yeah. a human. And yeah. it just shows how far we've fallen. They, we did, they did another review of Lindsey Graham's remarks about Trump when he was running against him. And then another politician, Marco Rubio, and then another one. And these tapes are so wonderful because what they were saying about Trump at the time. It's all self-serving. He's narcissistic. He lies all the time. He distorts. It was absolutely prescient that they knew exactly, put their, their finger on it, and, and then they sing his praises. Oh, my God. And so there's so many people who voted already. You have. I, I saw the uh, shot of you with your ballot. I have. I voted, for- and I have confirmation that it has been received and counted. Amen. Amen, man. A- Amen. Amen. Oh, where'd you go? There you go. Last week, I told you that, I assume I told you, that we sent our kids to school. Yes. And they have gone for a week, and now a week and a day. And, you know... The school is doing a great job. They're doing everything you could possibly do. If you were forced to run a school of small children in a pandemic, they're doing everything perfectly. I thought there was a rise in cases in Spain, an alarming rise. Yeah, there is. But again, what my school is doing is, no, and and there will be here because- There will be everywhere. But it's, I could not design a better system. Like I have no- suggestions for them of how to do it better good they're doing it well, that's good great but it's it is what it is and we will see what happens yeah so yeah that's where we are the debate is tuesday tomorrow night what a, what a, i'm so curious like i chris wallace for, for sure moderator. i won't watch it all because i can't stand to watch all of something like that, but I'm curious to hear the recap of what happens. And Chris Wallace apparently 
is not to act as fact checker on the air, uh, which he does when he is being a television reporter. His role as moderator does not include him interrupting and interjecting with fact, which is fine. Who has given him this role? It's the presidential commission in the agreement with the network. Okay. And in the rules of the de- the rules of the debate. But you know, please don't interject truth a, into this discussion. It's, kind of, no, it's, like, it's the way it should be. Because the person who's responsible to call him a liar is Biden right. with the facts, not a professional uh, reporter. It isn't, in fact, a news report. It isn't, okay. it isn't, it isn't educational. It's observational. It's, 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 educational it, is it, observational. I like that distinction. Yeah, it's, it is what it is, what you said earlier, which is an oft-used phrase, of course. We're just watching the wildlife. We won't have David Attenborough telling us what's actually right. going on. Or intervening. You there, get off of him. There'll be no mounting during this televised show. You're not the it's right kind of limo me. to, to me, be mounting but, that. Uh. Excuse me, but, but you've got to let them out if they're going to meet. You're not supposed to get involved. Oh, but look what they're doing over there. Mounting. We can't have that. Which is, which is, I think, what is going to happen during the debate. It's not your job. You just... You can explain it, but you can't criticize it. Go. Get off of Donald. Stop trying to mount him. Hey, the third thing that they heard in our podcast that was, I think I sent this to you. I, Oh, God, I meant to if I didn't. It's an article that describes the knees of Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The knees? And they obviously, the knees, they heard our podcast when I interrupted you and said, we need, I'd like you to find the picture of Joe Biden's and Donald Trump's knees. And you scoffed and you went on with your story, whatever it was. But there comes out a story, a political story, where they make a reference to these men and somehow make a reference to their knees and it was, they must have heard our podcast because that's where it came from. Talks about the candidate's knees. I see articles about taking a knee. It's not about their knees. It's, it, it's, it's a throwaway sentence in a 700, in a 2000 word article. So it wouldn't necessarily come up. It's an obscure reference, in fact. So I'm not sure that the search engine would find it. Articles. Yeah, but you did. And you didn't send it to me. No, that's not true. Good luck to our listeners. I didn't search to find it. I happened upon it. No, I didn't say you searched for it, but you saw it, but and your brain latched onto it. Yes. And then immediately, maybe I it did. Just evaporated into the ether. Of maybe I did though. Maybe I did send it. Presidential knee talk. Welcome to presidential knee talk. Let's let's look at the joints of the people that command the joint chief of staff. Let's form a joint committee to discuss. Yeah, man. I want to be on that committee, man. Yeah. We get to pick. Let's uh, pick the joints. I'm pretty sure they're all arthritic. The what? Arthritic. 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 Oh, I know him. He yeah. was a poet, right? He's going to be Arthur. the Secretary of State. Arthritic. When, when we elect one of these septuagenarians. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he lasts. Good Lord, I hope the man's all right. Did you hear what Trump said at a rally in North Carolina? 
yeah, they they take a shot of something and they put it in Biden's ass and they kick him out there on the debate stage and he does remarkable for two hours. And then he goes back and he collapses. He's just got this story of, it's, no, man, that was John Kennedy. <laughs> or you got, you got the wrong president. You got the wrong president. Or himself, you know, whatever whatever meds that Trump is on that keeps him sniffing all the time. Or should be nervously. on. Yeah, it's cocaine. It's well, cocaine sniff. No, it's more of a... Sort of in the nasal drip. It's an ADHD. It's like a septum has been destroyed by fucking uh, snorting uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken laced with fucking cocaine. Right. Which is probably what he does. <laughs> yeah, so... In my life, I have to get up in the morning and go to my local grocery store where people ask me, did your president really just say that last night? And I have to be like, fuck. Maybe. You go to the grocery store every morning? I follow some to buy food to feed the family. Every morning? Yeah. Fresh food? Yeah, it's all fresh food, fresh bread. Like, it's a pitching wedge for my house. So it's... the, the Better than a refrigerator. And whatever I get is the freshest, and it doesn't cost me anything. And I also am walking, so I'm not going to buy a week's worth of food to carry walking back home. Yeah. So I buy whatever – I decide whatever I'm going to make for lunch and dinner, and then I, I buy it that day, and it's all nice and fresh. But anyway. Do you do all the cooking? I do most of the cooking, yes. Even on weekends? Normally on weekends, yes. I've recently been passing some of the weekend – cooking, planning stuff off to the wife, but previously, yes. Because I have this side gig that I'm doing on the weekends that takes up even more time than I don't have to spend 120 hours editing these episodes so that we sound remotely interesting or interested in what each other is saying. So, <laughs> well, we, you know, this is, this is the You have to put that inflection on... It's, you know, the algorithm to make Dennis sound like he cares what I'm talking about is... Uh, <laughs> It's pretty sophisticated. <laughs> I'm, it's called rapt attention. It's right. Exactly. I mean, do you, I mean, you could pepper in phrases. You could you could have the computer say things like, "Isn't that interesting?" Or, "Uh, yes." Tell me more. Right. Yes. Which I do, and now I, I have it recorded. Right. So, so. I mean, it's. Too, I know that the audio obviously isn't picking up my facial expressions, except my sniffing, <laughs> my Donald Trump. Post-nasal drip. Post -nasal Donald drip. Trump is a drip. He has post-nasal drip, and it's just the tip of his bad misdeeds. He's a scoundrel and a fink, and it's worse than we think. For all we know, it'll drive him to drink. But he doesn't imbibe because he can't stay alive. Without the self-loving praise of himself, of himself. So we look to the past and we think, oh, at last he'll be defeated. And so defeated. And we think we will know happiness, which will grow and we'll have a new leader. To thank. To thank. 
Oh, he'll take us to green pastures and we'll pay through our asses, but the country will be sounder once again. Once again. Amen, bro. Oh, the song is not done. Oh, you know, I'll go on till the sun comes up above the ridge. And the song is not a start or a finish, but it's a bridge to what we'll see in the morning when we awake. Just when you thought it had ended, I don't mean offensive, but I am not done with the song, with the song. It'll go through the night. It'll be such a fright. All the words that I find to sing for you. For you. For you. For you. <laughs> I love Popeye. I love Popeye. Oh, my God. That's crazy stuff. Anyway, it's frightening. Anyway, i got to go. Yeah. It's been a hoot. It's Play been a happy, happy hour. Happy. See you later, my friend. I love you, man. Ciao. Okay, that one really was the end of episode number... 78. You can find the show notes at happyhour.fm slash 078. Lots of cool links to the things that we've discussed, the Netflix show and the Showtime show. And we'd love it if you could hop over to patreon.com slash happyhour and buy us both around. We'd really like that. We will see you next week.